The book of James, unchanging. We live in a world of change, I'm sure you've probably noticed. It's captured in some songs. Sunrise, sunset. Sunrise, sunset. <laughs> right? Things vary. The light on the earth varies. We have sun going up, sun going down. At least that's the way we put it. We have good days and bad days. And one of the things that kind of reveals the changing nature of our lives is actually our bodies. Our bodies change as life goes on. We get older. And so we can see this world in the changing aspects of what we go through and even in our own mortality. This world is a changing place. Sometimes we see a young person that we haven't seen for a while and they've grown big and tall and they may even have a five o'clock shadow and we say, boy, how you've changed. And there we're celebrating change for the good. Or we might do this. We might think of an old TV show that you know, we, we really enjoyed and we want to look up that star today and maybe it's 30 years later and we click on the internet, and we go, what do they look like today? Have you ever had one of those things? What are, what are they like today? And you click on the picture, and how you remember them in the movies from the 80s or the 70s or the 90s ain't how they look today. And you say, wow, they've changed, and not for the better. And sometimes we don't realize the changes that have happened to us. I was in a coffee shop recently, and I was uh, meeting with some folks from the church. And I ran to a guy, and he, and he said, hey, what church do you go to? And he was doing some discipleship. And I said, oh, I go to Living Truth. And he goes, oh, that Michael Lance over there at Living Truth, he's a, he's a great teacher. And I said, I am Michael Lance. And he went, you are? Boy, you look different. <laughs> and I went... And all God's people said, ouch. <laughs> How different do I look? And in what ways do I look different? Pray tell. I don't want to know. And then we go back and, and we, we can look at pictures, you know, for those of us who are a little older and we had fuller heads of hair and darker. And we go, wow, things have changed. And this is the world we live in. It's a world of change. My worst day can be somebody else's best day. Have you ever think, think about that? Like, you know, maybe for you uh, recently, you've been at a memorial service, and maybe it happened on a Friday afternoon. And, and on that same Friday afternoon, somebody else maybe in our own city was celebrating a raise or, you know, one of the best days of their life or somebody said yes to a marriage proposal or they just had a new addition to their family, and they're celebrating over here, and we're mourning over here. There's seasons for everything, and on the same day, there can be mourning in one household and rejoicing in another. And some people in James' day were saying, look, I'm trying to make sense of bad days. I'm trying to make sense of persecution. I'm trying to make sense of where is God when evil happens? This is been categorized as the problem of evil. It's probably one of the most pressing issues in the uh, theological circles of Christianity to try to deal with the question. The problem of evil. How do we make sense of evil when we know God is good, but yet we find evil in the world? And this is what the early Christians were wrestling with in famine and in uh, 
poverty and in questions of persecution. Where are you, God, when I'm having my bad day? Does God's nature change when my day is bad? And then the next week when I have a good day, does his nature change? Is there anything we might categorize as immutable? That's the big theological term for God's nature. God is unchanging, his immutability. Well, is it true that God doesn't change? Is there anything that I can anchor my life to when I have those question marks in my soul that turn like a fish hook in my heart? I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. What's going on? Where are you, God? Do you care? Some uh, may have been saying, do you even have the power to change my circumstances? Some people, let's, let's face it, have walked into the church, tried Christianity, and left. And they're out there somewhere even this morning with questions in their soul. You may be one of those people. Maybe you have come back to church and it's been a recent experience for you. And one of the problems that you had to be quite candid is you were mad at God. You were trying to make sense of a loss or a circumstance or an inexplicable happening, whether it be abuse or somebody over here who, who died young or whatever it may be. We, we know there's a debate in the news of a baby. I don't know what the outcome has been in Europe under socialized medicine. And uh, can they move the, the baby to spare its life? You know, these kind of debates, and you're saying a life is at stake. This is not about a philosophy. This is about a life. But this is the way things unfold in our world. And in the state of California, I know our heads have been spinning with the weird laws coming down the pike. I know recently there was a homeschool law, and some of our homeschoolers flew to Sacramento to try to fight it. They want to put names on a list, and it sounds like, you know, it's Big Brother and some scary stuff, and that bill was defeated, praise God. And it never even made it to the floor. But we look at the world and we say, you know, what do we do about such things? And when we pray, is heaven actually hearing our cries? Life changes. John the Baptist learned a key about life. He learned that it wasn't about him. And in John 3.27, some of his uh, disciples had come to him and they said, hey, people are flocking to Jesus and they're not coming to you anymore. And John said these words. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it first been given to him from heaven. In other words, when you know your role, that your life, if you can find this out about life, and it's a hard thing, is really not all about you and your creature comforts. It's about being used for the glory of another. It's about being a blessing to other people. If you can kind of reshift your life in a very selfish society, and we have selfish tendencies in our flesh, you're going to start to figure out what life is about. Life is about he must increase, I must decrease. That's John 3.30. Pat Summerall, some of you know the name. He was a famous football player, a legendary uh, broadcaster. He did a lot of huge games with John Madden, a lot of Super Bowls uh, a while back. And uh, he shared the following uh, testimony. He became an alcoholic, and he drank so much for so many years that one night after having a couple of drinks, he, he was going to bed, and he got up and he was sick and, and he was at Augusta for the Masters uh, golf tournament. But what he threw up, and I, I don't mean to gross you out, but this is his story. What he threw up was a portion of his stomach. He had been drinking so much that his stomach began to deteriorate from the alcohol abuse. And he got sick one night and when he looked in the toilet at what he had thrown up, it was actually part of his stomach. And so it was obviously a very scary moment for him. 
He was in the bathroom. He looked in the mirror and he said these words, what have I done to myself? What am I doing to myself? As he looked in the mirror, he describes the lights in the bathroom kept getting brighter and brighter and brighter so that it, as they got brighter, he could see his face clearer and clearer. He told that story later at a function, and after telling it, legendary football coach Tom Landry asked Pat Summerall if he wanted to know what those lights getting brighter and brighter were all about. Would you like to know? And Summerall said, oh yes, I'd like to know. Landry replied, that was the angels of God showing you clearly who you are and that you need God. Pat Summerall said he didn't think too much of it at the time, but that was something he would remember after he became a believer. He said, I had all this talent and success, but I never thought about where it came from or who gave it to me. And so as we live this life, you know, we can become very self-consumed. We can say, oh, I've, I've got this talent. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. But we can come to a place in our lives where we have to take a closer look at ourselves under the bright lights, as it were. And life is not found in the uh, possessions we, we get in this life or the accolades or the fame. It's found in actually being a servant. But the early Christians were asking the question, well, where is God when I'm trying to follow him and people are abusing me and life is tough? Is, has God changed? And they were even asking the question, is God the source of evil? Is God tempting me? And James said, let none of you say, when I'm being tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Don't say that, James said. Each one of us is tempted when we're drawn away by our own lust and enticed. This is the problem. The problem is within. It's not God. It's us. We have a fallen nature and we live in a fallen world. And so James wants to remind his readers that God is good. And the main thing that James is communicating is just that. God is good. Look at verse 16. It says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Don't be deceived. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift, 17, is from above. God is good. Now I want to show you just a few psalms. If you hold your place in James, go to the book of Psalms. The psalmists, obviously there was more than just David, but they wrestled. Psalm 34 is where you want. They wrestled with life and its difficulty and they would cry out to God with great honesty. And in Psalm 34, this is a psalm of David and he says these words. And David went through all of his trials as we know. Psalm 34, verse 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, 34.3, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed, 34.6. The poor man cried and the Lord heard him. And saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Oh, taste and see, what's your Bible say? That the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him, there is no want. Turn to Psalm 100. Psalm 100 is a celebratory psalm. We probably have quoted it many times in the context of worshiping God in music. But Psalm 100 says these words. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. 
It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are, peop- we are his people and the sheep of his pasture, verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. For the Lord is what? The Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. Flip over to Psalm 135. Psalm 135, just look at verse 3 with me. It says, praise the Lord. Psalm 135, verse 3 says, praise the Lord. For the Lord is good. Sing praises to his name, for it is lovely. There's something good when we praise God together, something healthy and beautiful. And then Psalm 145, just one more in the psalm. Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9 says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, 145, 8, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. If God is good... And God does not change. If he is truly immutable, unchanging, then God will always be good. Even on your worst day, God is still good. Even on your worst day, my worst day, God is still God. But the early Christians were asking the question, if you turn back to the book of James, well, what do I do with my circumstances? Uh, Lamentations, a book about Destruction and lament, mourning, says the Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new. How often? Every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. That's interestingly enough in Lamentations 3, 22 through 25. And Nahum 1, 7 says the Lord is good a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. Don't be duped, my beloved brethren. Don't be deceived. God is good. And God is good all the time. Yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus, the same. That was my request this morning for the praise team. That's a song back in the day from Hillsong. And every time I hear it, It just ministers to my heart. Yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus, the same. And when we conclude this message, I'm going to point us back to Jesus. And we're going to see God's ultimate expression of good is Jesus. But right now, he warns. He says, I don't want you to be deceived, my beloved brethren. Don't be deceived by your circumstances, verse 16, James 1. And don't be deceived if someone in the congregation, perhaps, or one of your friends, or someone comes out with a book and says to you, oh, God is not good, or God's the author of evil. That's a lie. Don't be deceived. Many times in the Bible, you're going to find expressions like this where the Bible warns us, don't be deceived about God or about his nature. Don't buy the lie. Because if you buy that lie and you try to go back into that world and you try to find the answer to the problem of evil from the atheists, you ain't going to find it. You try to find it from the agnostics, you ain't going to find it. God has an answer for the problem of evil. And we're going to talk about that as we move on. Verse 16, many scholars have said, is a bridge between the previous section and the one that follows. 
I want you to see in verse 16 that James addresses the church as my beloved brethren. He loves them, and that's why he warns them. And just so you know, when someone warns you not to buy a lie or not to be deceived, it doesn't mean that they don't love you. I know in our culture, we sometimes believe that love and niceness have to go hand in hand. That's not necessarily true. Warning can be the most loving thing that you can do. And James is warning the beloved brethren, the church, don't be deceived, you guys. Don't buy the lie that somehow God is not good or he doesn't have the power to change uh, your life or your heart. Galatians 6, 7 says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, he will also reap. James says God is not evil. He's not the author of evil. In fact, verse 17, James 1, every good thing or every good gift, the ESV says, bestowed or given, every perfect gift is from above. Just the opposite. God's not evil. He's good and he rains down good gifts to us consistently. In fact, the only reason you are here right now is because of God. God made you. And without God, there ain't no you. Never, you know, I don't know if you've thought about it in those simplistic of terms. But without God, there's no humanity. There's no beauty. There's no anything. And Dr. Martin said, you should think about this additional thing. It's a privilege to be human. After all, you could have been a fruit fly. I mean, God had options, right? <laughs> there, there's a lot of different creatures on the planet. Some days, I wish I were my dog, though. I have to confess. My dog seems to have a very simple life, you know? And my dog, for some reason is always happy. What is up with dogs? <laughs> it's a, always, always happy to see me. I could have her locked in the house for 10 hours on a 105 day in Corona. <laughs> and the name in Hebrew for dogs is Caleb, which means all heart. How appropriate is that? <laughs> anyway, well, that's enough of that. You see, James is saying every good thing, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights who doesn't change, simply put. We'll get into the verses in a second, but every good gift comes down from God who doesn't change. I know your circumstances have changed, James might say. I know you're pushed out of Jerusalem. I know there's been famine and poverty. I know it's been hard to be a Christian. I know some people have rejected you and said you're not part of their family anymore, but God doesn't change. Your circumstances have changed. God does not change. There's no variation in God. He is changeless. He is good. He is the Prince of Lights, the Father of Lights, a unique phrase in Scripture. God rains goodness upon us. In fact, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of Lights. One writer says, in fact, light is one of the loveliest gifts from our Father above. Just think about it. Just the gift of light itself. God fathered the lights of the universe, giving birth to each of its ten octillion stars, by the way, which he calls all of them by name. 
in their individual brightness, ordering in their distinctive constellation and framing the physical laws that keep them on their courses, as well as ordering and sustaining the suns and planets and moons of the solar system. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth knowledge. Night after night, they send a message. God is good. He's the father of lights. He made the sun, the moon, and the stars. R. Kent Hughes, in a commentary on James, is listing the benedictions before the Hebrew Shema, the prayer of Israel. And he says, the following uh, are the benedictions before the Shema in their original form. Blessed be thou, O Lord, King of the world, who formest the light and createst the darkness, who makest peace and createst everything, who in mercy givest light to the earth and to those who dwell upon it, and in thy goodness day by day and every day renewest the works of creation. Blessed be the Lord our God for the glory of his handiwork, for the light giving lights which he made for his praise, Selah. Blessed be the Lord our God who hath formed the lights. Without him there is no light. Without him there is no creation. Without him there is no you and me. There's nothing to discuss, nothing to debate, nothing to complain about, nothing to rejoice in. Without him, your heart doesn't beat. You have no circulatory system. You have no eye. You have no taste buds. There is no reproduction. There is no anything. God is good. God decided to make you. God decided to make you in his image, which makes you quite unique. These are concepts that we don't think about often as humans, but we should. We should put them back into our vernacular as families around the dinner table. You've been made in God's image. You bear the moral character of God. You have been given creative abilities and the ability to work and to think and to reason and to be a change agent in this world. Use your life. Your life is an opportunity. One of the great opportunities of all time. And many of our young people are checking out because they don't know if life's even worth living. That's a lie. James would say, don't be deceived by that lie. Your life is a great opportunity to use for the glory of God. God made the great lights, Psalm 136, verse 7. His loving kindness is everlasting. The sun to rule by day. His loving kindness is everlasting. The moon and the stars to rule by night. His loving kindness is everlasting. Psalm 136, verses 7 through 9. Uh, Jeremiah writes, after he goes through the new covenant, where God will write his laws on the hearts of the nation of Israel. He says, Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and fixed uh, order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. He's the creator. The world that we live on is just far enough from the sun that we don't melt. The moon has a big impact in the order of things in our lives. The air that we breathe, the world we enjoy is a gift from our Father. And he made the heavenly lights so that you could get a suntan in the summer. Just make sure you put on your sunscreen, right? Have you ever just watched the sunset and went? The other day, I, I was at home and 
My wife likes to take pictures, and the sky was just whew, with all these different colors of purple and blue. And I was like, Brenda, get your camera. Get your camera. God is an artist, man. Woo-wee. It's incredible. And there are people on the other side who want to tell you this is a cosmic accident. The result of an explosion millions and millions of years ago, right? Your eye, your brain, a bird in flight on a sunset. I mean, think about how silly that is. That's science? Now, there are things that I don't understand about God. There are times when I don't get what he's doing. But God says, even if that's the case, I don't change. I am the father of lights. I am good. One ancient writer says that, uh, attributes the, the language to astronomy at the end of verse 17. Shadow of turning describes the movement of heavenly bodies that produce constantly sh changing shadows on the earth. One ancient writer referred to it as the change of seasons. Epi Epicetus, I think was his name. James may be using a polemic or a rebuttal or an argument against the ancient notion in some religious circles that your life was bound to the fate of the stars. This is, uh, there's modern expressions of it, but people, you know, they read, what, what is it, their horoscope, and they look for the alignment of the stars, and something like this. It used to be that you'd open a newspaper and go, <gasps> it's going to be a bad day today. Why? Because Saturn and, 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 and Leo, and then they're aligned in a certain order. Wow. The planets are doing this, thus I'm going to have a horrible day. And then someone gets on the 91 and says, see, the traffic's terrible. Hey, that's not the alignment of the planets, brother. That's too many cars on one road in Southern California. That's all that is. The stars are giving me the omen that it's going to be a bad day. No, they aren't. God breathed out the stars. The stars don't control your life. They don't control your fate. But some people in the early church may have been hearing other belief systems and said, oh, maybe this is the stars are doing this to me. Listen to Richard Dawkins of Oxford University, renowned evolutionary thinker. I just heard Ravi Zacharias say that recently, Dawkins is even starting to deny that evil exists. Because he knows that if he has to admit to evil, then he has to say there's a standard of good. And then if there's a standard of good, where does that good come from? And it leads you back to a moral lawgiver who is God. Well, you know, that's a problem. Here's Dawkins. In a universe of, of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect. If there is at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. Or as poet A.E. Hausman put it, I, a stranger and afraid, in a world I never made. Or as one evolutionary thinker put it, he said, you know, the prospects of a God or no God 
both frighten me to the core. If there is a God, that scares me because I don't know him. This is, this is an evolutionist atheist. If there is no God, I'm also frightening, frightened because we're in a ball in the middle of space and nobody's steering. Both possibilities frighten me. May I say to said evolutionary atheist, how about you become a Christian and meet the one who's steering? That'd be good. But it's hard in some of these circles for them to say, I've become a theist. I've become a believer in God because they think that they'll be painted as dumb or unscientific. No, that's just flat false. God is the creator. He's the father of lights. And there's no variation in him. This is used in Greek for the setting of teeth in a saw, for stones set alternately, for a sequence of beacons or even seasons. It could connote the movement of heavenly bodies. Some see this as periodic movements of heavenly bodies or even of an object in orbit, perhaps to the phases of the moon or even a shadow cast by an eclipse. Perhaps the constant alternation of night and day, the change of light intensity, full light at midday, dim light at dusk, no light at night, sunrise, sunset, we might say. Things change, but God doesn't change. In him, there is no variation or shifting shadow. I, the Lord, do not change, it says in Malachi 3.6. Therefore, you, Israel, are not consumed. If I change my mind, you know... I told that person I would love them and accept them into my kingdom, but today I've looked at Michael and thought, you know, I've changed my mind. Oh, Lord, no! Please don't change your mind about me based upon my performance. Grace, I want grace and all that I can get. And the Bible says, he who began a good work in you will complete it to the day. Of Christ, Aren't you grateful that on your worst day, God says, I still love you. I know it's a mystery. I know it's perplexing. Sometimes I look at other people and say, God, how can you still love them? Answer that one. <laughs> I don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about them. But God is the same. Hebrews 1.3, talking about Jesus, says, He is the radiance of His glory, the exact representation of His nature. Jesus upholds all things by the word of His power. Hebrews 1.3, When He made purifications of sins for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. All things were created by Jesus. Colossians 1.16, By Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. The creator of the sun, moon, and stars is Jesus, your Savior, your Lord, your Redeemer, is steering the ship. Do you believe in Him? Have you trusted Him? Jesus the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 8 says it. God is the same yesterday, today, forever. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so um, I want to show you in the book of Hebrews, just the book before James, Hebrews 1, the writer is celebrating the superiority of Jesus to angels and to everything else. And in Hebrews 1, 8, just the, the book before James, he says, of the Son, the Father is speaking of his Son, Jesus. But of the Son, he says, Hebrews 
Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. The Father is calling the Son God in Hebrews 1.8. Uh, here is the Trinity. Continuing to speak of the Son, the Father says of him, You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy companions. Now, God's throne is forever and ever. The Father is continuing to talk about His Son in verse 10, and He says, Thou, Lord, in the beginning did lay the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the works of Thy hands. They will perish, but Thou remainest. They will all become old as a garment, even the creation. And as a mantle, Thou will roll them up. As a garment, they will also be changed, but Thou art the same, and Thy years will what? Not come to an end. Even what we think is so constant, sun, moon, and stars, one day God's going to roll it up because he made it. And the constant is not the creation. The constant is the creator. Everybody understand? We think, oh, well, but this is what I see. But what we see is the product of the one who made it. He formed the earth. The heavens are the works of his hands. They will perish, but you endure. Psalm 102, 25, and 26. Here's the application. Broken man needs to rise in his awareness of the unchanging God. My circumstances have changed, but you don't change. And that's where I'm going to anchor my hope. I know it's not easy when it's happening to us, but God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, one of the great goods that God did for us as we finish up this message in James 1 is in the exercise of his will, James 1.18, he brought us forth by the word of truth. The create, God is good. Let's just go down the list. God is good. The creation he made is good. In Genesis 1, he kept saying, he would make something and he would say what? It is good. It's good. It's good, right? The one thing he said wasn't good was for man to be alone, but everything else he said, it's good, it's good, it's good. God is good. The creation he made is good. Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. And one, one other thing that we need to see in this particular verse is in the exercise of God's will, he did something else that's incredibly good. He brought us forth. He caused us to be born again by the word of truth. That's just another way of saying the gospel. You want to know if God's good? He could have just said to us humans, yes, I made the world, but you messed it up. Therefore, lots of luck. Or he could have just destroyed everything and he came close in the flood, right? And he could have just said, I'm done with humans. How many times in your life have you said, I'm done? I'm done with that situation. I'm done with that person. I'm done with this. I'm done with that. How many th times a day do you think God could say, you know what? I'm done. Going on, I'm going on vacation, he might say to Michael the archangel. You steer for a while. <laughs> no. Right? But God doesn't do that. God is good. And he decided in the exercise of his will to rescue us when we had sinned by the word of truth. That's simply the gospel. So that we might be, as it were, 
the first fruits. This is a way of saying the first of the sheaves, the first of the crops, the promise of a fuller harvest. Many believe that the first fruits here in verse 18, since James is uh, addressing early Christians who were Jewish, the early uh, church was Jewish, and they were the first fruits saved on the day of Pentecost. Remember when Peter preached, which is a harvest day in the imagery of Israel. They're the down payment of a whole harvest that would be happening over the next couple thousand years. You are the first fruits of hopefully many in your family. Should the Lord tarry, you are the first fruits of hopefully many generations that will believe. Are you structuring your family in that way? Are you saying, hey, even if previous generations were not Christians, we're going to be the first fruits of many generations to come who will believe in the gospel, who will trust in the word of truth. This is what God did in his free will. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth. Instead of the, the image of sin, kind of in, in the idea of reproduction, coming to full growth and bringing forth death, God did something with kind of reproductive imagery and brought us forth but to life instead of death. We've been born again from above. Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he will not what? He won't see the kingdom of God. Born again literally means you must be born from above. You must have a spiritual birth. That's John 3, 3. One of God's great gifts is one day he tapped you on the shoulders, may, may, shoulder, maybe multiple days. Hello. He's a seeker of the lost. You must be born again. But I'm, I'm, I'm doing my thing, Lord. I'm seeing people. I'm, I'm, I'm doing business. You must be born again. But I'm over here doing this. And sometimes what happens is we have to hit the wall before we open the door to the knock. And God is not willing that any perish but all come to repentance. In him, you also, after listening to the message, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians 1.13 and then 1 Peter 1.23 says, You've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is through the living and abiding word of God. God is good. He made a good creation. And one of the great expressions of his goodness is that he saved you. Can I get a witness? Anybody out there one day saying, Life preserver, please. And God didn't say, dog paddle a little bit more. Work. Now, the moment we say, save me, Lord, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The life preserver is going to come. He will in no wise cast out anybody who comes to him. This is the message. God is good. And one of his great gifts to us is salvation. Are you born again to a living hope? Have you experienced the goodness of God? Have you tasted and seen the Lord is good? Once you taste of him, nothing else will satisfy. You can try. You can try to go back to those old ways, those broken cisterns, those old haunts, and all it's going to do is show you once again that God is good. And the rest of the stuff, you can have it. Jesus, the same. Yesterday, 
today and forever. A rich young ruler came up to Jesus and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Why do you call me good? There is no one good but God alone. Jesus wasn't denying that he was good or that he was God. He was trying to get the rich young ruler to get in touch with his statement. Why do you call me good? If you're going to call me good, you must believe I'm God. Because there's no one good but God alone. Now I'm going to take you to one more verse. And the preacher promises. This is the last verse. It's the book of Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Look at verse 38. Acts 10. If the worship team can hear my voice, please come on up. Acts 10, 38. Peter's in the house of Cornelius preaching to the Gentiles. The door has been opened to the gospel uh, for them. And here's what he says, Acts 10, 38. He says, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he, Jesus, went about what? Doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus Christ, Peter says, you know about him? How God brought him into this world and he went around anointed by the Holy Spirit, anointed by power, and Jesus went about doing good. Everybody just park for a second. The book of James is about living out your faith. And one of your greatest expressions of being a Christian is that you go about doing good. Goodness is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And James is going to challenge us throughout this book, and there's more to come. He's going to say, hey, in verse 19, every one of you, be quick to listen to God's word. Slow to speak. Don't judge him. Slow to anger. Don't get upset. Don't get this wrong. God is good. And what God wants you to do in your journey on this earth until you go to be with the Lord is he wants you to go about doing good. And you know what you're going to find? If you become a person who goes around doing good instead of a person who just sits and listens, if you become a, not just a hearer of the word, James 1.22 theme verse of the book, but a doer of the word, you are going to be blessed. You're going to find what James is saying life is about, what true faith is about. You say you're a Christian, James would say to us, show me. Start going about doing good. What's your ministry? Is your ministry to, you know, single moms, to seniors, to families, to men or, men's or women's uh, ministries? Go down the list. Has God called you to go out into our community and start a new ministry to help some people who don't know that God is good yet? How are you going to make the most of this great gift? You've been given a life. Soon it will be passed. Only what you do for Christ is going to last. This world is going to be rolled up one day. Everything we put so much stock in. Oh, I just got this new toy. Uh, I wax it at first, just like everybody else. You know, oh. And then the first scratch it gets. Ah! <laughs> and then all of a sudden you realize it's just a thing. It doesn't matter. What matters is that I go about reflecting my creator and doing good. And I know this congregation is filled with people who have that heart. Amen? Let's continue to do that.
Let's go out this week and say, Lord, use me to show someone your goodness. Use me to show my family your goodness. Because you are good. And I don't have to produce it. Goodness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. I just have to yield to it. I just have to say, Lord, use me this day. I don't have much to offer, but what I have, here it is. If you can do anything with this, please. And God says, okay, good. Buckle your seatbelt. Because I'll take you on a journey to show you how you can touch other people. Father, we thank you so much for the book of James. Thank you that James is so direct, but so gracious at the same time. We know that he didn't even really believe until after the resurrection. He had to be confronted with the resurrected Christ. And many of us are slow. (laughs) We're slow of heart to believe. But help us, Lord, to align our lives with heaven's priorities. I pray for every person in this room, from the youngest one here to the most senior adult, Every one of us has breath in our lungs and an opportunity to redeem our lives for your glory. I want to ask you with your head and heart bowed, if you've not met Jesus, you've not met the good one. God is good. He sent his son. He loves you. If you you have questions and maybe you thought, well, I don't know if God is good, don't, don't look any further than the cross. God is good. He loves you. And he's going to ask you to receive him as your Lord and Savior. So right now, just pause for a moment. This is the most important decision you can make in your life. And if you've not made it official, something like this. Lord God, pray it if it's you. Lord God, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe, Lord, in your death on the cross, Lord Jesus, and your resurrection from the dead. Pray it if it's you. I'm going to turn from my sins right now. And I place my trust in you as my Lord, my Savior, and my King. Thank you that you're good. Thank you that you showed that goodness at the cross. Thank you that you are so full of love. And thank you that you don't change even on my worst day. You still love me. Help me to be more like that, Lord. This week as I go out, let me just reflect your goodness to others. Instead of making it about me, help me to put aside me and be good to people. And may that that goodness open up opportunities to preach the word of truth, the hope of the gospel. Lord, may you bless the precious people here with a fresh, uh, just blessing of the knowledge of your goodness and a fresh infilling of your Holy Spirit to go out and shine your goodness to this community. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen.